0: Welcome back to the listener's commentary on the Gospel of Luke. In this session, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 17, verses 20 through 37. Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem, and he's making good progress towards that. He knows that uh, that's really where the climactic moment of his life is going to occur, and he's determined to get to Jerusalem. And so this long middle section of the Gospel of Luke is all about Jesus heading to Jerusalem. On the way to Jerusalem, here in Luke 17, verse 20 and following, Luke tells us a story about an interaction Jesus has with some Pharisees who are wondering when the kingdom of God is going to come. And they're exploring that question with Jesus. That's a big topic in their day that Pharisees, Essenes, Sadducees, right? Like Jews of the day wrestled with this. They've been longing for the kingdom of God to come really for centuries. Here comes Jesus, this rabbi who in some ways acts like a Messiah, but in other ways does not. They want to get his opinion on this all-important question. When is the kingdom of God going to come? And that leads then to Jesus responding to the Pharisees and then to an interaction with his own disciples about presumably the kingdom of God, but he refers to it as the days of the Son of Man. So what is that? What is the days of the Son of Man and when the kingdom of God comes? And either this passage really could refer to two things, and scholars are somewhat divided, Uh, oftentimes it's taken to refer to the second coming, like we're talking about the, the coming of Jesus at the end time when the kingdom comes in fullness, or it could refer to the destruction of Jerusalem. And scholars are somewhat split on that. Oftentimes our Bible translations don't help because they'll put like in a subhead in there that immediately tells us What to think. And usually our Bible translations take this as referring to the second coming. And so we'll read this text and that'll be our immediate assumption. But I think we need to hear the text on its own terms before we just kind of default to that. Um, And so this is about when the kingdom of God comes. It's about what the kingdom of God is going to look like when it does come. And it's about the days of the Son of Man. That phrase, the days of the Son of Man, or even the day of the Son of Man, Um, really echoes some language out of Daniel chapter 7. So let me just read you a little excerpt from Daniel 7 to kind of set up the theological context that is uh, at work here in this passage in Luke 17. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel sees this vision of four beasts that uh, represent four different empires or kingdoms. And then in the midst of that uh, vision, He also sees a vision of the Ancient of Days seated on his throne. This is what he sees when he sees the Ancient of Days. Daniel chapter 7 verse 9 says, I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His garment was as white as snow. His hair was like the hair of pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out before him thousands upon thousands were serving him and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. And then the court was convened and books were opened. And so we're at a judgment scene and you have the Ancient of Days on his throne and he's opening books and he's going to render a verdict. And what he's going to render a verdict on is seemingly these human empires, these human kingdoms. Um, And they're all condemned, right? And they're uh, dominion it says is taken away but they get a short extension for it, a period of uh, pointed period of time and then Daniel says he keeps looking and he sees one like a son of man that is a human being that's what the phrase son of man initially refers to but this human being comes up to God and is given and ultimate in greater kingdom than all these other kingdoms represented by these beasts. Here's the way Daniel describes it in verse 13 and 14. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. Notice that he's, he's coming with the clouds of heaven, but he's not coming to earth. He's coming to the Ancient of Days. One like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to this one who looked like a human being and yet is can come up to the God's own throne, the ancient days throne, and was pre- pre- presented before him and to him was given dominion, honor, and a kingdom so that all the peoples, nations, and populations of all languages might serve him, his dominion, Unlike the kingdoms represented by the beast, his dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And so those uh, beastly kingdoms were given a short-term period, a short-term lease on life. But this kingdom of the one like a son of man that God hands over to him, it's an eternal kingdom. It's not going to pass away. Well, this idea of the days of the son of man derives... From that language there in Daniel chapter 7. And it seems like in Daniel 7, we're not talking about Jesus returning to earth there. We're talking about the Son of Man coming to the throne of God, being given a universal and eternal kingdom. Here's my take then on this passage that we're about to look at, just so you understand the framework I'm reading it from, and we'll work down through the details of exegesis then after this. But I think. The initial and primary thing being referred to here in Luke 17, 20 and following is the, the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. It was the ending of the old age, the old order. It vindicated Jesus in his warnings to the people of his day that they were on a collision course with Rome and they were going to suffer because of it unless they would repent and join his kingdom. And It also vindicates that Jesus was saying, I I am bringing the kingdom of God. Right now, it's beginning in and through me, and it was already beginning in him. And in AD 70, that kingdom was already beginning in seed form to to have the seeds of a worldwide kingdom. And it only continued to spread out from there. Once uh, the temple was destroyed, Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70, man, the kingdom of Jesus just exploded throughout the world. And really did become a worldwide universal kingdom. But at the same time, that didn't bring the final end of all things, right? And so there will be a greater and ultimate vindication of Jesus as king when he returns. And so I think the primary thing that it's referring to is AD 70 when Jesus' kingdom is vindicated and goes universal in the picture of Daniel chapter 7, but I think there's a, an older, an ultimate and greater vindication at the end of time. All right, so that's, that's how I'm reading this text. Now, with that, let's walk down through and look at some of the details of exegesis here. Picking up in Luke 17, verse 20, it says this, Now, he, Jesus, was questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming an important topic, a lot of debate about this in Jesus' day, and so they, they want Jesus to weigh in on it. Jesus answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. I find it interesting. They want to know when the kingdom of God is going to come, and Jesus answers them by telling them that well, the kingdom of God is actually different than you think. And so they want to know when. He tells them, ah, it's different. And so it's going gonna, it's gonna to look different. Um, and you're not going to be able to locate it over there or locate it over here. It's going to look different. Um, and, and he says, in fact, it's already in your midst. That phrase, in your midst, what does that refer to? And there are several options that uh, the way you can take that language. Some, in fact, there's even some translations that translate it as within you. The kingdom of God is within you. Um, And yet for Jesus, the kingdom of God, I think, is less private than that and more public than that. And so that doesn't really seem to capture really what Jesus is at when he says the kingdom of God is in you, among you. That the the Greek word in could mean in or among. And so I think it's got to be a little more public and less private than just it's in you. Some say it means in your grasp, like you can you can grasp a hold of it. You can reach out and, and take hold of it, possibly. I really do think the best is the translation we have here, that the kingdom of God is in your midst. That is, it's among you. Um, we know that Jesus preached the kingdom of God was at hand. That's the way Luke has summarized from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, his message, that repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, we know that he taught the kingdom of God was beginning to come in and through his ministry. Uh, and so what uh, Jesus seems to be saying to the Pharisees is, is that the kingdom of God is already coming, but it doesn't look like what you think. It doesn't appear what you think, but it's already here. It's coming through me and you need to sit, submit to it and get on board with it. I think that's the point here. And so Jesus answers the question, when is the kingdom of God going to uh, come by saying, it's different than you think. In fact, it's already here among you in and through me. Then Jesus shifts in verse 22 from talking to the Pharisees to talking to his disciples and explaining a little bit more about this. And so verse 22, and he said to the disciples, the days will come when you long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look there. Or look, here, don't leave and don't run after them. So the picture seems to be here in verse 22 that uh, the Son of Man is absent. You're longing to, to see one of his days, right? They're spending time with him and they would long to be with him, but it's absent. And people will be trying to tell you that the kingdom is over here or the kingdom is over there. Jesus says, don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. Uh, In fact, don't leave and don't run after it. In other words, you know, don't go over there. Don't go over there. Check it out. Don't listen to them. Don't chase after their ideas. Why not? Well, he explains in verse 24, for just like lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky and shines to the other part of the sky, so will the son of man be in his day. Seeming to me in the day of his vindication, in the day of his uh, coming in glory. So the victory and vindication of the Son of Man um, and his really being seen as a king of a universal kingdom, it's going to be like lightning in the sky, he says. It's going to be obvious, like lightning is obvious. You're not going to have to look for these little tangible signs over here. Like this guy's got a little group of people over there. Go check out that. Maybe he's the, the son of man, the Messiah. Oh, this guy's got a little group of people over here and he's doing some pretty awesome stuff. Maybe check it out over there. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be obvious. Um, as obvious as lightning in the sky. And in fact, if this is talking about 80-70, it was obvious, right? Like you didn't have to wonder. Um, the end of the age of, for the Jews came in AD 70, and it changed everything, right? And so I think that's what he's referring to here, is just the obvious nature of it. He, in fact, goes on in verse 25 and says, But first, before that happens, he, Jesus, the Son of Man, must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So before that glory comes, before that vindication comes... Um, rejection and suffering and death must happen. And it's going to happen at the hands of, he says, this generation, this group of people right then and there. And so there's going to be suffering and death for the son of man first. And then eventually there will be vindication and glory for him. Um, And people will be going about normal life. And then all of a sudden it's going to happen. Like they're going to be going about their everyday life. And then boom, the day of the Son of Man is going to happen. Notice what he says in verse 26. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. What happened in the days of Noah? Verse 27. People were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. In other words, they were going about normal life. They were just living life, eating, drinking, getting married, just doing the normal stuff of life. And then Noah entered the ark, and then the flood came and eliminated and washed away all of the wicked people of Noah's day. Same thing was true in the days of Lot, he says, verse 28. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. They were just going about normal life, right? They're just doing their jobs, they're eating their meals, they're just hanging out as a family, going about normal life, but on the day that Lot... Left Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. And so they were going about their normal life, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, a judgment fell upon them and uh, got rid of all and destroyed all the people of the city in judgment. And so, the point here in this context, by way of analogy, Jesus is saying it's going to be the same way on that day when the Son of Man is vindicated. When his day of vindication comes, and in the language of Daniel chapter seven, the Ancient of Days uh, vindicates him over the beasts of this world, the beastly kingdoms of this world, and he's given a universal kingdom. And so Jesus goes on in verse thirty and says, "It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed." Um, The idea of revealed isn't appear or even come, it's when the curtain is pulled back and he's seen for who he is. On that day, the the one who will be on the housetop with his goods in the house must not go down to take them out. And likewise, the one who's out in the field must not turn back to his house to get his stuff, right? Remember Lot's wife. If you remember the story of Lot's wife, she looked back, didn't go so well for her, she turned to a pillar of salt. Um. Verse 33, whoever strives to save his life will lose it, whoever loses his life will keep it. In my opinion, if this is referring to the second coming, then this would make little sense, it seems to me. Why tell someone to not go downstairs and you know pack their bags and, and leave the house if it's time about the second coming, right? Or if you're out in your field harvesting and that's when it happens, now you need to don't go back home, just flee. It's like that doesn't make sense to me. If we're talking about the second coming. But if we're talking about the attack on Jerusalem, man, that makes a lot of sense. Like uh, when you all of a sudden realize, oh, I see the troops marching in and I can see the, the you know, I can see what's happening, right? Like at that point, don't even bother getting your stuff because it's going to happen more quickly than you think. Just get out of town. Uh, and so if we're talking about the attack on Jerusalem, man, that makes good sense. In fact, verse 33 makes good sense. If you're trying to save your life, if you're trying to gather up your stuff uh, and, you know, pack up all your things, man, you're going to lose it. Um, But if you'll just say, you know what, doesn't matter, I'm out of here, and you just flee, then that actually makes good sense. And that seems to be the force of it to me. Just let it go and run. And in fact, that's actually what happened. Followers of Jesus fled Jerusalem before its siege by the Romans and its destruction. And uh, at the records of history show there were no Christians in Jerusalem um, at that time because they took Jesus to heart with words like this and other words that he said. And when they saw what was happening, they're like, we're out of here. And they fled the city. And so I think that's what Jesus is describing here is he's he's giving this warning to his disciples. Like, look, it's gonna happen. It's going to It's gonna come quickly and suddenly. So if it happens at a time when you're, Uh, leisurely sitting on the roof, just boom, get out of the city. If it happens during the daytime and you're out working in your field, then guess what? Just don't even go back home. Just run. Just get out of there. And Jesus' disciples took him seriously. Verse 34, he says, I tell you, on that night, if it happens at night, there will be two in one bed, because that's the way people slept, right? They would sleep on the floor. One will be taken. The other will be left. Uh, There will be two women grinding in the same place. One will be taken. The other will be left. This uh, language in verse 34 and 35 is frequently assumed to describe what's called the rapture, right? This taking of people. Again, I think we're talking primarily about not the second coming here, but about uh, the destruction of Jerusalem. And in fact, if you read this language in comparison to the two illustrations just given, the days of Noah and the days of Lot, um, when you compare it to that, Who was removed in those days? Well, uh, it wasn't the righteous. It was the wicked. In fact, Matthew's version of this makes it clear that that's the sense of Jesus' words here. Let me read you the way Matthew describes this same thing. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood were they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came. And took them all away, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Notice, well, the flood came and took who away? Didn't take the righteous away, it took the wicked away. And he says at the same time, there'll be two men in the field, one will be taken, one will be left, two women grinding the mill, one will be taken, one will be left. And so the ones taken seem to be those taken away in judgment. And since I think... The main referent is, is the siege and destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans at AD 70. I think what Jesus is saying here in verse 34 and 35 is, if it happens at night, you'll be fast asleep. All of a sudden, soldiers are breaking down doors, grabbing people out of their beds, right? Or if it happens during the day, people are going to be grinding their grain, right, in their courtyard. And all of a sudden, boom, terror is upon them. It's just going to happen so suddenly that you can't predict it, which is why he says, don't even go back to your house. Just let it go and flee. That's, I think, the point he's making here. Now, verse 36, um, if you notice in a lot of translations is in brackets. Some, it doesn't even show up. And that's because it's not in the best manuscripts. It likely was added because that the, the same sort of language shows up in Matthew 24. So verse 36 says, Two men will be in the field. One will be taken. The other will be left. And so it's echoing the same point he's making. Just using language from Matthew 24, probably wasn't in the original. It was added because of Matthew 24. Continuing on then in verse 37, he says, And responding to them, they, the disciples, said to him, Jesus, Where, Lord? And so their response is, Where is this going to happen? And Jesus said, Where the body is, there the vultures will be gathered. It's interesting to me that their question is not... The initial question of the Pharisees is when. Uh, These guys' questions, the disciples' initial questions, well, where? Where is this going to happen? And Jesus' answer is descriptive. It's illustrative and maybe a little cryptic, but it's descriptive. Where there's a dead body, that's where you'll find the vultures. Or uh, maybe eagles. The word vultures uh, could also refer to eagles. Again, that may allude to or hint at the coming of the Romans because their symbol was the eagle and on all their staffs and on their shields, they had the Roman eagle, right? So where the dead body is, that's where the vultures or maybe the eagles will be and they're coming to, to scavenge uh, the dead body. And it seems like perhaps what Jesus is getting at by that is, where is this going to happen? It's going to happen where the where things are dead. And he, he is alluding to perhaps that Uh, Judaism and Jerusalem, because of their rejection of Jesus, is dead. They missed out on the king and the day of his visitation. And there's death there, and the vultures are going to gather there. Now, as I said, I think the primary initial fulfillment of these words came in AD 70 Judgment came upon Jerusalem. The end of that era came for the Jews. Jesus' warnings were vindicated. His authority and power were revealed for what he really is and who he really is, and he was vindicated in that day, and his, his kingdom expanded into this massive universal kingdom that's all around the world today, just as Daniel 7 uh, predicted would happen. But the world still awaits a final arrival of that kingdom and the final vindication of the Son of Man, and for it to be totally obvious for who he really is. His kingdom is still at work in this world. And we need to avoid falling for false messages and false messiahs and false versions of his kingdom. Just like the warning here was warning those first disciples, look, leading up to that great and final day, there's going to be false messiahs and false kingdoms uh, and false messages about the Son of Man's kingdom. And, And there was all of that in the first century leading up to A.D. 70. And Jesus said, don't fall for it. And the same is true today. We need to make sure we don't fall for that. We need to submit to King Jesus. We need to trust him alone, knowing that he indeed is the son of man, the great and mighty human being who now sits at God's right hand and rules over this universal eternal kingdom. Um, We need to trust him alone and submit to his kingship.